Hello, and welcome to the Emerging Technology Horizons podcast. I'm Arun Serafin, Executive Director of NDIA's Emerging Technologies Institute. On today's episode, we're coming to you from NDIA's 23rd Science and Engineering Technology Conference at the campus of the University of Texas, San Antonio. Um, the focus of this year's conference is how the department is using its science and technology portfolio to meet the needs of the national defense strategy and the operational needs of our combatant commanders. Uh, there's a special featured focus this year, which is really interesting on humanitarian assistance and disaster response, as well as, and that's what we're going to talk about with our guests today, some of the activities working with state and local and regional development activities down here in Texas, and this special COCOM focus is with Northern Command. And so there's been a lot of speakers here from US Northcom talking about their operational challenges and their technology needs. My guest today is Dr. Michelle Atchison, a, a good friend from a long time. We've worked together for a long time. And she is actually also one of the division heads of our science and engineering technology division. Thanks for your, your support for that division and all That's your work for that. And you're currently serving as a director of federal relations uh, for the University of Texas system. And you're leading with um, with their efforts in working with the Department of Defense, focusing on their research and collaborative opportunities. Uh, you, you're developing strategies for the UT system. You're developing research partnerships, both with government and industry, and then uh, formalizing some of those uh, opportunities, I think. Um, before joining UT, I've known you in other roles as well. Uh, she, you served in leadership positions at the Lockheed Martin Corporation. Uh, you, you led strategic partner development for Lockheed Martin's Advanced Technology Laboratories in Washington Operations. Uh, working on developing, uh, accelerating uh, tra technology transition efforts. And then prior to that, uh, you wore a uniform, extensive yes. military career. Michelle served for 27 years in a, a variety of military command and senior staff positions, including uh, division chief for science and technology for U.S. Joint Forces Command, uh, chief scientist for the Air Force Experimentation Office, um, and science advisor for the Air Force Command and Control Intelligence Surveillance, Surveillance and Reconnaissance Center, C4ISR Center. You retired after 24 years as a full colonel. Thank you all for all of your service. And uh, join me all in welcoming Michelle to, to the podcast. Um, so we're here at UTSA, and you're a proud UTSA staff member. Um, so tell us about what's so exciting about being here at UTSA for you. Well, this is sort of a sweet spot and a culmination of all of my career hats I've won, worn over the last couple of uh, decades, really. Um, I have been able, through my work here at UTSA and the broader UT system when I first came in, to be able to look at how to advance um, the collaboration and the ecosystem involving national security stakeholders industry stakeholders and academia to uh, attack those large complex problems that uh, we're all facing. And it's, it's really creating an ecosystem of um, learning, knowledge generation, uh, technology application, and aligning it to the mission of DOD and the, the broader IC. And as our world's gotten more complex, those lines and boundaries have blurred. So we're bringing in more, and it's opening up an aperture. And the National Security Collaboration Center that we're here today, which opened about six months ago, is a physical manifestation of that, uh, of that commitment that UTSA has 
offering. And this ecosystem is uh, cross-functional. It's not only um, area studies and um, faculty that are focused in on national security, but we're bringing in the foundational capabilities of the data School of Science, manufacturing, supply chain research and issues, and stakeholders in those. And we've created this environment to stimulate the partnerships, the growth, and um, the challenge to the questions which are yet to be solved. So, you know, bringing together all those different sectors, which you've managed to do in yourself, given your career, um, you know, what are what are some of the difficulties that you run into in trying to bring together all of those different sectors, academics, industry, traditional defense industry, commercial industry, government, state? What, tell us about some of those barriers that you're trying to address with this kind of facility and these kinds of activities. Well, depending on the uh, hat I was wearing at the time, you know, from a military mission application um, standpoint, I think part of the challenge is you have a speed of solution uh, working within the military environment to make sense of what you're going after, um, which is kind of over the horizon thinking when you're developing science and technology, research and development issues, and then being able to translate the value proposition, the so what to the warfighter, being able to uh, align the timelines and the needs and prioritize them is a big challenge from a military perspective. From a, a corporate perspective, like Lockheed Martins and the defense industry base, it's being able to articulate um, delivering those solution sets and um, processes and answer as a um, industry person to the end users, which are the military, but then able to precede that and develop the um, the working knowledge needed to take it from research and theory into practice. Uh, and then from an academic standpoint, it's looking at the, the, the long haul. What is the next generation of issues, questions? What are the um, students and workforce that you have to educate and evolve to keep pace or get ahead of some of those long-term problem sets. An example would be uh, the discussions academia is having across those domains about hypersonics. What are the foundational education and curriculum that's needed? What's the testing and the research that's needed uh, to prove out uh, the fundamental education and training we need in our next generation of decision makers, leaders, and workforce um, that are literate in hypersonics or in any topic. So the another common thread between all those different sectors is our workforce needs. Yes. And we're sitting here on the campus of UTSA, which is one of the nation's leading Hispanic-serving institutions. Um, and it turns out that, you know, you wearing your uh, SNET division hat and us in our Emerging Technologies Institute hat are working together with the Air Force on a workshop that we're going to be holding at the end of this conference, which is going to look at uh, how defense industry, how government, how academia can do better in having the department work and defense industry work with minority serving institutions like, like UTSA. So tell us why you think that's such an important problem for us to be working on. Well, I, I think there's a couple of things to, to tease out. One is that um, higher education is really um, looking at not just degree programs, but certificate programs so that we're not only bringing along uh, the next generation 
of subject matter experts, but we're retooling and revectoring some of our existing workforce to help create sustainable jobs and allow them to uh, evolve as conditions in industry evolves. And um, as the U.S. Census that we recently had demonstrates, we have a shift in our populations and in our opportunities. So San Antonio as a broader um, representative of the population is 60% Hispanic. And we're also outside of um, the greater uh, Washington, D.C. area is the largest concentration of federal agencies um, in the country. Um, and so that combination represents the shifts and changes that we're seeing, not only in um, minority um, populations, but we have to react to it from a minority education and opportunity standpoint. UTSA, um, there's over 500 Hispanic uh, based higher institutions across the country. But there's only 22 that hold both uh, Hispanic or minor, uh, Hispanic serving institutions and an R1 level, which is the top tier of research capability. And we're one of those 22. So the combination of um, serving uh, the local population uh, working with the federal agencies in as a resource and as a collaborator and being able to do that is really important. So having forums that address um, minority needs at large, but also reflect uh, the need to provide diversity and opportunity to the future workforce and where you supply them from um, is a natural fit between academia, industry and federal government. Uh, in the uh, in the fall, you worked with us on a webinar that we ran with the National Academies and the Air Force on working with historically black colleges and universities. And one of the things that came out from that discussion was the point that um, these kinds of minority serving institutions, HBCUs and Hispanic serving institutions and uh, Asian American Pacific Islander institutions, they actually produce more U.S. citizens in the STEM fields that defense industry needs, that DOD needs. And so it's not just uh, an important role to play in, in trying to improve the diversity of the workforce. It's actually getting the clearable workforce that we're going to need for the future. Absolutely. Uh, an example is UTSA, 87% of their undergraduates are clearance eligible. It doesn't mean they hold the clearances, but they're, they are in a pool of eligible that could be um, part of the differentiation. And I also find that minority serving institutions in listening to multiple forums and dialogue, it's really two factors. One, um, the first generation uh, students and uh, families are are see education as a fundamental game changer from their economics, their uh, future lifestyle, and career opportunities. So education is highly ranked um, in, in those communities, but also because a lot of them are first generation or immigrant families, um, they have a sense of pride of being part of the United States. And so we shouldn't discount the, the, the pull of patriotism in that group. So the combination of desire for career advancement for families uh, and patriotism, I think, is a, um, a good example of why um, minority um, students and communities are such a rich and vibrant 
uh, source for uh, DOD and for uh, the defense industry base for the future. So in the in the in your last few years working here, prior to that, industry and government, how have you seen uh, DOD and the institutions themselves either work together well or move together more? Or you know, what's your assessment of how things are progressing in terms of establishing the kinds of relationships you're talking? Well, in the last couple of years, I'd say it's a, a very positive uh, direction. I think that um, there has been a, a reality of the awareness and the challenges people are facing with a decreasing uh, workforce, a need for diversity, and that uh, the competition's getting stronger. With the private sector, with for example. With the private sector, public sector, you name it. Um, so I think that um, being able to work together, but I think what I've seen of late is that DOD has realized that they need to explore what are the factors, uh, the conditions they need to improve their outreach. Uh, they're conducting a series of um, forums and outreach to explore what they need to do to make an effective um, set of initiatives, pilots across DOD, and not only for uniformed purposes, but for the civilian workforce. So I've been very pleased. Uh, I think we're in this uh, window of awareness and opportunity that this is a great time to reset the dialogue for, for those minority interest groups and come up with solutions to work not only with industry, but with um, government through organizations such as NDIA. What opportunities exist today if you were a, a minority student and you wanted to approach working with DOD or defense industry? What are some of the pathways that you think are working well right now? Well, I think uh, one of them is uh, raising the awareness uh, because a lot of these students, their families may not have uh, awareness unless you've been in the military, even if your family has an affiliation in some way with uh, Department of Defense. All the paths are not known. So I think the recent just change. Just awareness of the opportunity. Yeah, just information and uh, where to find information. So I think that the new CTO um, website that's been revisited and made it easier creates um, information flow. That's good. Uh, and I think getting uh, those types of um, things, whether it's internships, summer hires, uh, whether it's remote or virtual work. Um, is important. I think there are some challenges that DOD is recognizing they're trying to address it. Um, specialty needs that uh, minority students don't uh, necessarily have. The basics of uh, travel expenses, living at home, obligations, because many of them are working students. They're not full-time or on scholarships. And so how do you work with those factors to attract minority or, or promote their access and opportunity? Um, so what would you tell DOD to do to support more partnerships if you were back in your old hat or now? Um, well, some of it they're doing outreach, uh, town halls, virtual um, information gathering on what are the needs, some of the, I would have DOD think about the cultural aspects of um, marketing and messaging because so often um, the family is a great influence. So maybe uh, providing some of this information in a bilingual fashion, um, maybe addressing some of the um, parent influence on students, guiding them to these new opportunities um, and 
So, you know, if your family's endorsing it, then um, it has more power than them seeking it by themselves. Right. I have um, to say, uh, my personal story, no one in my family ever did anything remotely related to the military, Indian immigrant family. I was the first to get into this defense industry world. And there was a lot of explaining at first about why this all makes any sense. And it changed sense. your path? It totally changed Changed path. your path. Right. I think uh, that's part of it. And I also think that there could be more incentive programs to encourage um, industry to hire in, uh, interns that are students and minority. And whether they go with the industry or eventually go into government service, I think there should be some um, incentive programs to help nurture um, across those domains. So uh, all of this is not done for charity, you know, and in the past work with these institutions has resulted in really good defense research, really good defense capabilities. Can you give us a couple examples of success stories that have come from some of the partnerships in the past? Yeah, just a, a one that we brought out uh, uh, recently. We have summer internships in the uh, cyber domain realm. We had 12 uh, undergraduate that went to graduate students that worked with industry and government. Of the 12, 10 were hired. Um, so it's creating a preview opportunity, not only for the students, but also future employers. And so I think that's a good incentive. I think another magnificent one is that recently, um, Howard University was designated as uh, the 15th UARC, or University Applied Research Center, right, the, by the first Force, HBCU. Right. And again, this shows the commitment of DOD and the Air Force uh, to um, help diversify and, and level that. And that's in autonomous systems. So I think these types of opportunities are representative. I think that DOD should uh, concentrate on maybe some other minority pilot and initiatives uh, to test the waters and see what can grow, but also to provide scale and scope for some of the smaller minority uh, academic institutions that may not have a history of dealing with DOD or industry in these realms, look for pilot projects that can do that. So we're going to have to wrap it up here, but let me ask you one more question. Speaking to the NDIA membership, the big companies, the small companies, how would you advise them to work with the minority-serving institutions, particularly Hispanic-serving institutions? Is there any any particular uh, tricks of the trade that work well, do you think, in, in establishing those partnerships? Well, I think I'd combine that a little bit. I think that NDIA is a convergence point for industry and government primarily with some sprinkling of academia. I think that there should be consideration of leveraging NDIA's networks and opportunities with industry to create um, student members for NDIA student scholarships or grants by industry to bring them to these types of professional forums so that they can get the exposure and the underwriting of that. Because many of these students can't afford to pay fees, but industry could provide grants through these professional channels and not only benefits um, it not only benefits the government and industry, but it also creates the next generation of awareness. I know that I joined NDIA as a junior officer in uniform, and I've kept my affiliation in my corporate hat, my academic hat, because NDIA represented a network of professional and personal growth that uh, I was able to thrive in. Yeah, and I guess I would, I would pile on that to say, and, and these members can participate in the workshop and Absolutely. those follow-on activities that we're trying to run 
in partnership to, to sort of explore this space and what more can be done. The next generation of workforce and professionals, I think we have the opportunity to influence through uh, forums such as NDIA and, what, um, and your sponsorship. Today, we had an eighth grader here. Her, her her active duty father brought her here. She is highly interested in peeking over the fence and learning. So if we can attract more eighth graders and 10th graders, I think that is leading us to the success of the future. I have a few of those. I can bring them next time. Okay. Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. Thank you, Michelle Atchison, our great guest uh, today. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe to our future podcast. I always want to tell you that there's a lot of great other things going on at NDIA and the Emerging Technologies Institute. Please visit our website. Please visit our YouTube page. Uh, to, to see all the other activities that we go on. We have got webinars, we've got educational courses, we've got studies and reports coming out. I want to highlight that in August, the end of August, August 28th to 30th, we're running our first Emerging Technologies Conference in Washington, D.C. Uh, we're doing that in partnership with Undersecretary Hsu and Undersecretary LaPlante. Great opportunity to learn about emerging technologies and how they're going to shape the battlefields of the future and address some of the issues that we talked about here today, particularly workforce issues. Thanks again for joining us on the Emerging Technologies Horizons podcast. Thank you.